Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Listening to Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and burps. Wow. Oh, yeah. That wasn't me this time. No, that was a Lucy burp. A merp. It was a merp. Mm-hmm. Lucy only, I only burps. <laughs> I only actually burp if I'm about to throw up. Mm. <laughs> the rest inward it. burps. What is it? I don't know what it is. I think it's just a shifting of my sphincter, like a burp, like a little squeak. Burp, burp, burp. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's it's like a hiccup burp. Yeah. It's just how you burp. It's a herp? It's just a, it's, <laughs> I think you've just got the herp. Lizzie's got, I got the herps. God bless. Oh, Lizzie's no. always had the herp. Ooh. Oh, God. <laughs> Why have we called it merps up until this point? We could have called it herps. I'm kind of glad we didn't. <laughs> I'm already sending married. the wrong message. <laughs> who cares? All right. Speaking Blow of up. who cares, I'm Kenyon. I'm Lucy, the one I'm with the herpes. herpes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Amanda. Amanda's got the boot. I took it off because it was getting sweaty. Oh, but I'm buddy wrapped. Okay. And I have not. I'm not walking around. I'm also in my weird recording nook up in my bedroom because my office is being remodeled and I am hoarse still from the party <laughs> bus. So there's all the things that anyone's going to ask about. Why are you recording in a different spot? Because my office is in shambles. Why do you sound <laughs> ridiculous? Because my life is in shambles. <laughs> it's also getting very hot in this nook and I'm really glad you cannot smell mm-hmm. the gas that I have. It's shockingly humid here today for yeah, the first time so since warm. last August. I have to take this sweatshirt off. So, so that explains my Chatting. appearance. I'm I'm quite overwarmed as well. Overwhelmed right. with warm. <laughs> anyway. So we have a very special fan pick today brought to you by Josh Haskinson. Hartnett. Lot of ass. Lot of ass. Josh. Haskinson. Jazz Haskinson. Yeah, I was just Askinson. <laughs> Gosh, it's Haskinson. <laughs> so Joss has selected the topic Unsolved Mysteries. Finally. Which, like, we've definitely covered other unsolved cases. Not a ton of them. Yeah, because I hate them specifically. I love them. I No, I just really like things to be... Wrapped up in a neat little bow. Yeah. I don't well, like not okay. knowing. That's okay. My case involves the television show Unsolved Mysteries. Same. All of them are supposed to. Good. Mm-hmm. I thought for one terrifying moment that I had misunderstood the assignment. No, I think it said specifically that they wanted cases that were featured. Okay. Yes. Great. On Unsolved Mysteries. So you nailed it, baby. Cool. We're good then. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Amanda, what is our wine crime pairing for Unsolved Mysteries? Yes. Well, as I clean my glasses off, our fan picker recommended wine that I didn't get. <laughs> they recommended getting something from Stacked, 
wines like Robert Stack, like the host. Yeah. Oh, he has his own wines? No. No, but, it's just the name similarity. Yeah. Oh. But, uh. so, okay, the stacked wine brand is actually quite clever because it's like individual servings of wine and then th- that come in like a little kind of rounded, it looks like stemless wine glassware. Mm-hmm. But it's plastic, so they're great for by the pool. You can stack and them. you can stack them oh, on top I of totally each other. Oh, I totally had those. Yeah. yeah. So I've had those awesome. at like festivals and stuff in South Africa. Yeah. yeah. They're really, really great for like outdoor or poolside or going to the lake or whatever. So they have like a but, plastic top, like a foil yes, top. They do have the little foil top. However, as we were preparing to do this episode, as everyone knows from social media, I broke my fucking toe. <laughs> and so I'm I was just not about to like drive to Total Wine and walk around and find it. So I'm sorry. So instead, I used ingredients that I had in my home to make Miss Fisher's mystery cocktail. Oh, like the Miss Fisher Mysteries, which I have not actually watched, although it's totally in my wheelhouse. What yeah. Ta- okay, I don't so this, know what this is. This person who made this bartender who made this cocktail, Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries is their favorite show, which is like, it's like a 1920s themed murder mystery show. TV and so they wanted, show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. So they wanted to make like a, 19, like a sassy 1920s themed cocktail. Now, the photo that you will be seeing for Wine Wednesday is their cocktail. So it's stunning and has like beautiful garnish. It's not what you've got. Not how mine turned out. (laughs) It smells good. (laughs) Let's see it. (laughs) Uh, You'll see it in a moment. First, I'm going to tell you the recipe so that you can make it at home. Um, You're going to want two ounces of rye whiskey, which is pretty much a staple on most people's bars. A half ounce of Grand Marnier, which anyone who knows me quite well knows is my favorite, and I will just drink it straight. You can put it in anything. everything. Mm-hmm. It makes margaritas better. It makes Cosmos better. It's just, it's the best liqueur ever. Just by itself? Yes, it's so it's good with good. just an ice cube. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah, as a slow sipper, I love it. A tablespoon of lemon juice, which if you are like me and you do not want to measure lemon juice... Roll in half a lemon and squeeze that. That's about a tablespoon. Everyone should have this in their house. One half teaspoon of maple syrup. Mm. And a quarter teaspoon. I actually did none because this is the one thing I didn't have. (laughs) But a quarter teaspoon of of strawberry preserves, which you could use. like jelly. Yeah, you could use like a fancy brand of jelly or since it's a quarter teaspoon. Just grab your smuckers, baby. Who fucking cares? Who's yeah. going to know? But also for the maple syrup, could you not use like simple syrup if you, you could. didn't have maple syrup? Yes, you can make a simple syrup. The nice thing about maple syrup is that it's going to complement the rye whiskey really well mm-hmm. Oh, with that little bit of maple. So it's not just going to be like sugar to mask some of the rye. We made mm. a cocktail once for a friend's birthday party and it was like bourbon, maple syrup, and strips of bacon. Mm-hmm. Hello. Mm-hmm. Fuck That's me amazing. up. It was so good. So yeah, good. Y- you pour it into a shaker <laughs> full of ice, give it a swish, and then pour it in a glass 
And if you have a plan ahead, salt your dead wine glass. Yeah. <gasps> that's then you can that that's looks pretty. Good. It is pretty. I didn't have the raspberry or the strawberry preserves, so I did put like a splash of grapefruit juice in it. It might be terrible, but I wanted a little something. It's not gonna be terrible. It matches your walls. It kind of does. This is a little bit more peachy looking than the yellow, but mm. so anyway, no pop, no twist, no driving. Just mm-hmm. a clean. Just, just, a just cocktails. Nice. So cheers, everybody. Fuck, cheers. I left my white claw in the other room. Well, text your husband because it's your turn to do your segment. He already left. <laughs> well, good thing my Train segment's going to be pretty quick. <laughs> Train your cat to go get it. I wish. Right. doesn't have the thumbs or the attention span, let's be honest. <laughs> but more importantly, the thumbs. <laughs> Lucy. What is our background and definitely not psych for Unsolved Mysteries? Well, I wanted to take this grand opportunity to speak with somebody in our industry who is famous, doing a phenomenal job at casting a big old spotlight on a current Unsolved Mystery, um, the Delphi Murders, and that would be Susan Hendricks of HLN. And the oh. CNN Weekend Express, she will yes. introduce herself. But I had the pleasure of interviewing her a few days ago. So let's just cut right to that interview. Yes. Okay. Well, today I have the pleasure of speaking with Susan Hendricks, who is a news anchor for HLN and CNN, host of Weekend Express. Susan actually hosted us wine and crime gals back in summer of 2019 before the world burned down. At the CNN headquarters in Atlanta. That was so fun. Oh my gosh. I loved having you on. It just the dynamic between you guys <laughs> made me want to hang out with you guys all day. And that fe- I can't believe it was only 2019. It yeah. feels like about five years ago, considering what was, we've been through. Yeah. The world has been through, right? It was a lifetime ago. I, I think know. my my favorite part was getting the the news anchor hair treatment. They <laughs> really, they gave me some volume. <laughs> well, guess what? If anyone could see me now, that's what I just got. She was here at my house doing that because I don't know how to do this. And when my four-year-old son sees me, he says, what's on your face? Because <laughs> I normally, uh, the top looks decent, bottom, I'm still in sweat. So <laughs> Yeah, <Hey>. exactly. <laughs> well, that is the Zoom reality of today. Exactly. <laughs> So Susan just kind of wrapped working on a podcast called Down the Hill, The Delphi Murders. And that is a podcast about the murders of Libby German and Abby Williams in February of 2017, which as of yet, currently unsolved. So as you know, Susan, we're talking about unsolved murders, unsolved cases. And I just want to kind of get some insight from you on your experience of the kind of the pros and cons of putting these types of cases into the spotlight, like having way increased press about them and how that can help and also hinder murder investigations? Well, it was a very different experience for me concerning Delphi. When I first went to Delphi, Indiana, and this is way before the podcast, it was my first time there. I had uh, reported on the news of the disappearance and the murder of the girls in 2017, February 14th, I was on the set. And because we do so much crime in so many cases, 
when my boss came to me and said, hey, we're sending you to Delphi, this was a year after the fact. I said, wait a minute, which one is that? Oh, that's the Snapchat murder, which that was called back then, where you hear, oh, yeah, I remember that, and the voice, and okay, Mm -hmm. and landing there and being in Indiana, and then going to Delphi from Lafayette, driving there, and meeting Abby and Libby's families, it was just a whole new perspective. I had been a field reporter for a long time before being an anchor at CNN. And you go out and you cover the story, you report on the story, and then it's the next day. That's the news cycle, right? Well, in Delphi, connecting with this family and really having the time to understand the crime and meeting Kelsey German, Libby's younger sister, older sister rather, driving her to the bridge that day, the last time they saw each other. And Kelsey, by the way, is in school now studying forensics and hoping to help other families. But just being in Delphi was so different for me. And I saw the resilience and I know that it's unsolved. But they have this drive and this, it's hard to explain it. it. It's resilience. It's inspiring to me. It's the ability to keep going under the most horrific situations. Yeah, I can't imagine anything more disturbing as, well, as a parent. I'm not a parent myself, but just the the thought of having a child murdered, taken away from you and not knowing who or how or why or having any of those answers is just heartbreaking. I hosted a panel at CrimeCon 2019 in New Orleans. And when I first met Mike Patty, Kelsey's grandfather, she lived with them. And he said to me on stage every morning, I walk by and I say, good morning to Libby's picture. Mm -hmm. And I said, what keeps you going? He said, thinking about the last half hour, the hour of the girls' lives. And that keeps me going. And we have to get his face out, meaning the sketch. We have to get the word out because someone knows something And he's waiting for that call from the authorities to say, he literally said, this is his quote, Mike, we got him. And he's looking forward to that day. That will bring him peace. Obviously, closure is overused and you never really get it. But it brings them a bit of peace to say, you know what? What Libby did, the bravery of recording that voice and recording that monster's video on the bridge that day, 2017, meant something. It led to justice. That's what they're hoping for. So do you think that specific aspect of this case that was the Snapchat, she has just a little bit of the audio recording, a little bit of that video recording. Do you think that's sort of the primary pull that you as a journalist have in terms of wanting to bring this case into the spotlight? Because again, somebody knows something. But on the other hand, the authorities usually want to draw a line between how much they divulge to the public and how much they're kind of, you know, keeping up their sleeves. I think initially that is what drew us to the case when I was on the set and reporting on that and even embarrassingly so forgot about that case a year later because there were so many cases. Once I was reminded, once I met the family, it became personal for me. I know it's not about me. I'm the journalist. It's about the family. But it really has. I've become very close to the family members. And I think that the audio and the video has driven the public to this. But then when you hear about what Libby did hitting record, because there's more on that cell phone 
not much more, but there's more. And the police will not divulge that because they said to me they don't want any false confessions. But I remember the first day I was in Delphi, the first trip, and walking into um, the police department. And I saw a sign that said, be careful what you say, the media could be listening. Meaning they're not saying a word. There's definitely a wall up of silence. And I understand looking into this. And Kelsey and the detectives now on the case text each other. And I speak to Kelsey often. I'll be a crime con with her in June in Austin, Texas, on the stage with her. And wow, um, is she an example of resilience, just wanting to connect and help other families and continuing to talk about this. She actually was on a uh, live TikTok last night. I was listening in and she was with another girl named Sarah, whose sister disappeared and they finally made an arrest. She was murdered, sadly, 26 years after the fact there was an arrest. So they did a live TikTok and I was listening in and, and I know Kelsey. And she just said, look, I met a lot of wonderful people, survivors of the Golden State Killer, meaning family members. But she said, I'd give that all back if I could have my sister Libby back. I'd give it all back. She was thrown in the situation. And I heard this at CrimeCon in New Orleans, 2019. Uh, Abby's grandmother said to me, look, Susan, it's a, it's a club you never want to be a part of. But once you are, there's a connection and a feeling within each other that you just feel and you know, and you find strength within each other. So it, I would imagine that most families in situations like this, as unfortunate as they are, would take similar steps and have similar motivations to keep their cases in the spotlight, you know, try to dr bring as much press and attention to them as possible do you feel, I mean, the fact that we, so many people know about the Delphi case, for example, I think that has a lot to do with you and your efforts as a journalist to cover these. But for those families that don't necessarily have that spotlight and that press coverage, I mean, it's, it's, it seems kind of like sad and um, unfair. Very unfair that you really don't. I mean, there's such grassroots efforts, you know, like maybe families have a website or a Facebook page, you know, help find so and so. But it just there's just there seems to be a lot of that out there. And there's it's just the family members that are kind of keeping those efforts going. It is unfair. And luckily, we do have social media these days that we are able to communicate and get the word out there. But I will say there are people in Delphi and family members that don't want to talk about this at all. And they don't want the attention uh, that we're bringing them. And that's okay. That's their prerogative. They've been through something that I will never understand, hopefully, hopefully. no matter how much I try to. So there are some family members that don't want to be as open as, let's say, Mike and Becky, who are the grandparents of Libby. They've been so welcoming to us. But I understand if someone says, you know what, I just, I've had enough. I don't want to talk about it right now. I'm having a bad day. But in terms of the attention of the case overall, I say, hey, contact to me. Direct message me. Tell me about the case. I'll cover it. Everyone deserves equal coverage if they want that. They all do, no matter what crime it is, no matter where it happens. So kind of on the flip side of that, the 
interest or, and I mean, uh, not disinterest, but just sort of those motivations, whether to, to get that attention or not, with the with the rise in popularity of so-called true crime as an entertainment medium, mm-hmm. it seems like there are just infinite so-called armchair detectives, internet sleuths, like we've all heard, you know, the Billy Jensen, for example. Is it your hope that someone who isn't involved at all with the case will kind of consume the content that you've put out there and be able to see something that you and the authorities can't see? Absolutely. A hundred percent. And Kevin, who puts on PrimeCon, and my gosh, it's not easy. And gathering everyone together. And it was my first time there in New Orleans. I believe it was the third year of the event of CrimeCon. And again, it's coming up in Austin in June. Kevin also put on a crowd solve event um, where people came together and they brought a cold case of 30 plus years and it was solved. And Selena Gomez, believe it or not, was there with her mom because she's interested <laughs> in true crime. She was. Imagine that. You're like, there's Selena Gomez and her mom. That's and he so gathered cool. in a room and they gave them the evidence. And, you know, I know that police departments are probably overwhelmed. And Delphi does not like the term, the authorities, their cold case, because they're constantly working on it. And it's not a derogatory term, cold case, but if it's cold, Delphi doesn't like it. I never use it there, but there are some that have gone cold. We all remember the Golden State Killer mm-hmm. and there were files and files that just weren't being looked at because after a while, new generations come in of officers, but there's always right an extra set of eyes that maybe they see something that a detective or the police department does not doesn't mean that they're not able to, doesn't mean they're inept. It just means that it's another set of eyes where someone may say, hey, did you ever look at this? And it obviously worked in Chicago. So I absolutely think where it crosses the line is when someone speculates, oh, I know who it is. It's John Doe. He's my neighbor three doors down and puts up a split screen in Delphi of the sketch. And I made up that name obviously, John Doe. And so Kelsey said, please don't do that because that could ruin lives. And it really can. You know, the tip line, they want your tips. They want maybe if you think you saw something that was abnormal with someone that, you know, they say call in or email, just don't put it up on social media in a split screen because it implicates someone without the evidence. Absolutely. What are some other, well, let's stay away from the phrase cold case, but some other (laughs) unsolved mysteries, unsolved murders that you kind of feel like sort of fall in line with the Delphi murders in terms of wanting to put them in the spotlight in the hopes that we can, you know, make some progress here? Yeah, there was another case um, out of Iowa of two young girls last seen riding their bikes um, and then just disappeared out of nowhere at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. We've covered that a lot. Lyra Cook and Elizabeth Collins, age, I think, 10 and 8 at the time, um, and disappeared. And they were stepsisters, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, they. I went to school close to where they disappeared, so I remember seeing... I mean, there were missing posters all over the state for, you know, months and months and years even about those girls. Very sad. And because 
it's not very heartbreaking because it's not that far from Delphi. They thought, hey, maybe there might be some connection. Mm -hmm. Nothing ever came of that. Uh, The sheriff, Tope Lesenby in Delphi, said, no, there's no connection right now. Not saying ever, but saying right now we have not found a connection. And the parents of those two young girls, just the not knowing. And again, I spoke to Libby's grandmother, Becky, recently. And I was on the set and we did Zoom. This is about three months ago. And she said to me, you know what, Susan, this year's hard. I'm very happy for the girls in Libby's class. But Libby would be a senior. She'd have her own locker. She'd have her own, they get their own parking space. There were milestones that they're feeling now, four years after the fact, where you're happy for the other girls, but you think that should be Libby. That should be Abby. And Abby's mom, that was her only child. And I've been to the grandmother's house and I see a picture of Abby, her volleyball picture. And I'm sitting on the couch and looking at that and thinking of the silence in the house and how it must have been before February 13th, 2017, and now after and much different. And what crime does, not only to the victims, but the survivors which are the family members, everyone around, the entire town, really, of Delphi, will never be what it was. 2,800, maybe a little more, population. And it's so different. You still see the teal and purple ribbons for Abby and Libby in honor of them and the lights that everyone has, the orange lights on their homes in remembrance and hopefully to find justice, saying we're keeping these up until someone is finally arrested. So obviously a murder against a young person or anybody has a a devastating effect on a community like that and a family. But is there a difference in sort of like what obviously there's a difference. So what are some of those differences in kind of the tone and tenor of the absence that these that these victims are leaving in their families and communities when it is an unsolved case? Is there just is that kind of sorrow and grief like? stretched out? I saw it with Mike. I've been around him several times, but on stage at Crime Con, and I was sitting right next to him. And, um, you know, it was the sergeant who was next to me. And then it was Kelsey and uh, Abby's grandparents. But really looking in Mike's eyes and seeing the sadness and really saying, I hope that day comes. They know that they will never get Libby back, that they want justice. They want someone to pay for what they did to everyone's lives, especially Libby's, cutting it so short. She wanted to study criminal justice, Kelsey told me. And maybe that had something to do, hey, with her hitting record on her cell phone. Who would think to do that at such a young age? to hit record and have the wherewithal to take not only a snapshot. Mike said he believed that at first she was going to take the picture, bring it home and say, Grandpa, look at this weird guy that was on the bridge. Then realized something was about to go awry and hit record. And also being called a hero, I know that one of the girls had the chance to run because they said they stuck together. One had the chance to run and they didn't. Oh, wow. But it's just to see it. And again, I, I watch the term closure. I, I've been taught that that doesn't happen through the years. I've been told, and I know it. 
I know that when I have kids, if your child is taken, if your child is murdered, there's never closure. There's never anything that's going to fill that hole in your life. But there is a sense of somebody paid for this. It wasn't, someone didn't get away with ruining or trying to ruin our lives and taking what meant most to us. And to possibly do it again. Yeah, absolutely to do it again. Because someone, we don't know the exact cause of death, Lucy, as you know, because they won't divulge that because of the false confessions. Like, remember with John Benet Ramsey and John Mark Card, he said, yeah, it was me, I did it. And he didn't, they don't want that. And um, the prosecutor now in Carroll County said, look, you'll find out in the courtroom, we got to prosecute this person, whoever we arrest. So it's not just about what we tell you now. We're thinking long term. Mm -hmm. We need the evidence against this guy. And if we divulge everything, um, that could hurt the investigation. And that's got to be that's got to be frustrating for you as as a journalist. Um, Also frustrating for the family and other people who are who are trying to get out there and help them. Are there any points in this investigation in particular where you're just like, come on, guys, just. Just tell it. Wouldn't it be better to tell a little bit of detail, you know, if if it kind of edged the line of, of eliciting false confessions, if it would that be OK if it kind of helped narrow the search down a little bit? Like what what are the pain points there in terms of the authorities withholding information? Well, the interesting thing, and I, it's a good thing with Kelsey, she has such a, a relationship, a tight knit relationship with the authorities and detectives that she can text them at any time. She recently got engaged. They said, congratulations. One of the detectives she told me said he's not going to rest until this is solved. So you almost have to hand over the trust, which they have to say, okay, we trust that you know what you're doing here and that you can't tell us everything. And I believe it was my first or second visit to Delphi, our, our trip there. And I said, do you know how they died? And she said, I don't know if I want to know. So Mm. we know it's a brutal murder. They continue to say brutal murder. And we can assess if someone was shot. You're not going to say it's a brutal murder. Mm -hmm. So something obviously horrible happened to those two young girls, just 13 and 14, in the middle of the day. And I don't know if that happened to my sister, if I would want to know the gruesome details exactly of what happened, maybe years after the fact, but I wouldn't. And they believe that that wouldn't help uh, us solve the crime or it wouldn't help with a tip. It just would help them once they're in court in terms of prosecuting this monster who did it. Mm-hmm. Going back just briefly to, for example, the John Bonet Ramsey case, that mm-hmm. was quite a while ago, relatively. Yeah, 1996, do you believe it? It was so long ago. It feels like... And the fascination is still there. I mean, the, for lack of a better word, it's fascination, it's interest, it's intrigue, it's wanting to know what happened that day to that little girl who was found in the basement the day after Christmas. It's like, it was like a cultural moment, too. Mm -hmm. It was odd. I I remember, I remember being in the grocery store at like you know, how old was I? Eight years old, nine years old when that happened and seeing her face on every single magazine by the checkout lanes, like every single one. 
every single magazine. And now I've read, I don't know if, if this is true, but they may have found new DNA evidence or with the technology, not new evidence, but you know, with, with genealogy and with the technology we have now, with the Golden State Killer, I mean, who knows what crimes will be solved in the future? And John Benet Ramsey's may be one of them. And the difficult part of that case, or maybe a lesson learned, is how much uh, the parents of Jean Benet went through. The general public may have thought, oh, it had to be so-and-so, the mom. Oh, it had to be the dad. Oh, it had to be the brother. And just what they went through, not only mourning the loss of their daughter, but with the public thinking that this was case closed, we know who did it. Mm -hmm. And that can happen, Oh, obviously. yeah. I mean, I have my thoughts on that case. Yeah. And it's not like I've got, it's not like I've investigated it in depth. I haven't examined all the police reports, you know. I read so. two books about it. <laughs> and I, <laughs> it depends what book you read on what you think or what really happened and or which Dr. Phil interview you watched. Yes. <laughs> uh, right. And what may have happened and and how does the mom seem and how does the dad seem and who's not crying and who's crying enough. And, you know, another case I've been following and uh, spoke about last year, CronCon, which was virtual, is baby Lisa. And she disappeared from her crib. Her mom put her down just 10 months old. Yeah. And the dad worked a late shift that night, which he normally didn't. She woke up, baby Lisa was gone, and it's still unsolved. And that was 2011. And just speaking to um, her mom, it, it was it was tough. Her mom and dad, I could see the pain. She buys her daughter to this day uh, Christmas gifts, birthday presents. And puts them all in her room. Oh I mean, the heartbreak of that. You know, these criminals, whoever does this, the monsters who commit murder, uh, random crimes, these urges, evil, as I call it, ruins the lives of those surrounding that person forever, I think. And it depends on your coping skills and your mechanisms of getting through things. I know that Becky, Libby's grandmother, writes every day on social media, today is the day. And she said to me, Susan, I'm hoping one of the days that that's true, what I post, and that helps her get through. And I think Kelsey, her granddaughter, helps her as well. I think it's also easy for us just as consumers of these news stories, especially like the really sensational ones, for example, Jean Benet. Mm -hmm. It's easy for us to only consider the people who are kind of on screen, the mom, the dad, the brother, you know, a couple of other people. But in reality, it's just as likely that it's a completely random person. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the scariest part. Like I watched a, a documentary about Madeline McCann. Is that her name? Yes. Yes. That and, case is, is just as, uh, frustrating and it, 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 it I can't imagine what those parents went through being persecuted first of all for saying you left her there you're too far away and you had something to do with it right that's what they would say my parents have done the same thing 
when I was young. It's like they were only a block or two away. Big deal. You know, you never think that it'll happen to you. You Mm -hmm. never think that. And as many cases that I have covered, if my daughter is a foot away from me in Target and she's 11, I say, where are you? Where are you? It's a panic. And it's it. I believe that it could happen to anyone because of what I've covered. But you never truly think, oh, this could happen to me. And if it does, how would I handle it? And that's why I'm so in awe of a lot of the family members out there who are able to continue to move on. And with Kelsey, not just move on, to change your major and direct your studies towards helping those who are going through something similar. It's very incredible. It's like she... It's like she internalized all of that, that entire experience and then turned it into something positive and productive. Yeah. yeah. And that's what did, really brave. That is amazing. Yeah. What did you see on Madeline McCann? I think I interrupted. Oh, just, just the, the idea that these kind of crimes, that we can all have our theories about who done it, but mm-hmm. the, the, the simple fact that it could have been a completely random abduction yeah. out of nowhere, like you said, just the straight evil... Yeah. That's that's horrifying. And I think we have a, a desire to sort of speculate, like you were saying, to think that we know who did it just in order to kind of feel better about it ourselves. Mm-hmm. But in reality, sometimes it's just completely random. Yeah, we see the parents. I know you've seen them at press conferences and just the pain you can tell in their eyes and just year after year and their sketches of how she may look like what she does look like. Is she still alive? And they don't know that. And I saw that with Natalie Holloway and her mom, you know, going off to spring break with her senior class to Aruba and her mom saying, I didn't even know where Aruba was, but it was just a few days. It was her and her friends. And then she never came back. And it became Beth's whole life, traveling there, thinking that it was Joran Vandersloot. He was convicted of killing Stephanie Flores years later. I think it was five years to the day. And then kind of taunting, in my opinion, Beth saying that if she paid him a certain amount of money, he would show her where the remains are. And then he would say, I don't know where the remains are. And her life just turned upside down. your daughter disappears at senior year. You think you have time with her. You think she's going to college. You think what could have been and what's taken away. And I think that's why the crime community is so strong. And those even who are interested in it, it's not about voyeurism to me. It's about, could this happen to me? How does this happen? What type of person would do this? And how are these families getting through the worst thing that you could possibly think of. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost uh, it's almost therapeutic in a little a little a little way that we see these things and we're like, oh, that could happen to me or a loved one. I better draw my curtains at night or, you know, just simple things. It's sort of and that's kind of ties back to the the reasons why we make assumptions and have our own little lineup of suspects in our mind because we want to feel safer about it. 
yeah, maybe even helpful. Like, oh, I think I know. Mm-hmm. And and there are people out there that I know you have seen and you have spoken to that really do help and want to solve these crimes and are invested in them. Um, and then there's other, like there are trolls out there. I was talking to Kelsey a couple days ago and she said, you know, I just get really mean comments a lot of times because remember the monster on the bridge said guys down the hill. That's what they released to the public. And she said that someone was mad at her for saying the word guys. And I said to her, the best button or the best thing to do is mute and block. And we mm-hmm. laughed. And I said, I checked how many people I've blocked and it's 84. <laughs> I was curious. <laughs> and she she checked hers and she said it was 137. I said, well, keep doing that. Good because, for of her. course, <laughs> you might hear something positive, like, way to go, Kelsey. Five positive comments. You're going to hear someone, some jerk saying something rude mm-hmm. to a girl who lost her sister. It's unfathomable to me. And they're trolls that it's easy to say ignore, but I say, hey, just block because they're out there. But then there's well-meaning people, let's say, on Reddit, which will bring you down a lot of rabbit holes, right? On oh, any yes. Time. And you're yes. thinking, wait a minute, who did it? Did this person do it? Mm-hmm. It's uh But the one thing that Kelsey and the authorities in Delphi do want reiterated is, look, we know the police said we want tips. And that's what they were saying. Call in. We need one more tip. We'll protect you if you're afraid. We need one more. We need one more. But they didn't mean tips as in side by side. Oh, it's this guy. To ruin someone's life or speculate that it's someone that it's not. And Mm -hmm. I know lately that there's been someone in the news who did something horrible to a young girl, 10 years old, luckily she did survive, lured her into his home saying, come pet my dogs, ended up uh, trying to strangle her. She had dog bites on her. Mom called police. They went in. This is about 10, 15 minutes from Delphi, found the girl. Now he's charged with that, but he's not considered a quote unquote suspect for Delphi murders, the Delphi murders. Now he's a person of interest, but everyone who's called in and they They have checked out different people. So he aligns with that. But they're not saying he's a suspect. And Kelsey uh, wanted me to make that clear to anyone I talked to because she said, look, I hold on to hope. And I've been down this road before. There's been people that have been considered a person of interest. And we think this is it. Mike even said to me, this is finally it. And it wasn't it. And think of the emotions. You're Mm. on a high of we got him to know it. Sorry, it's not him. Back to square one. Yeah. So the ups and downs, she said, I can't do that. So we have to wait until we hear he's a suspect and here's why we have the evidence. Wow. Oh, these, you know, these, there's just something about these unsolved cases that are just, I mean, they they can keep you up at night. I mean, they keep a lot of people up at night. And being (laughs) in that town, I'll say, is something that I've never experienced. Eating spaghetti with the family at their kitchen table and seeing pictures of Libby and uh, wondering how how can they get through this, but they are. And so I'm inspired. And uh, Libby was painting her room and she didn't finish it. She almost did, um, but it's left the way it was. You know, when I see her cleats in the corner of the kitchen and I think this room was filled with laughter. I saw a video of her cracking open a watermelon and cracking up laughing hysterically. 
you know, and that's who their lives are cut short. The, to humanize these girls is very important to the family and to me. It's not just about this monster on the bridge saying guys down the hill. It's about the girls. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk a lot, a lot about Bundy, right? We're still talking about him. Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like, and I understand why we do focus on the killers because we wonder once they are caught, how, why, how could this not happen again? What are the clues? Don't get in any white van. But mm -hmm. to keep hearing about Bundy, and maybe it was because he was an attorney and he was intelligent, and people think that monsters look different than all of us. And let me tell you, they don't. Mm -mm. It could be your neighbor. But to talk about him and without the victims, to me, uh, doesn't do it justice in terms of who he killed and the lives cut short. Absolutely. We got to keep keep our focus on the victims and... Bundy but had I a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, and I understand why, like the Golden State Killer, it's like, finally, and mm -hmm. thank goodness, and for Paul Holes and everyone involved in finally getting this guy and connecting the dots, and for the evidence, and for the technology that we have now, and I think a lot more crimes will be solved in the future, quote-unquote cold cases, because of this, because of DNA, mm -hmm. and... Um, what would be most shocking to me, which I'm sure, which was with the Golden State Killer, who's a former police officer, to say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it was that person. So when I'm in Delphi, I think that. I mean, I don't implicate. When Mike was on stage with me, he said, I know. He kind of made the uh, audience the laugh. He said, I know. I was questioned. I looked like the sketch. It, he said he was cooperating and, and Sheriff Tobe Lesenby said he was questioned twice. And he said, I didn't mind. This is a small town. We'll all be questioned. We want to find the guy that did this. And that's what's so frustrating to them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I have all the faith in the world that the Delphi case and, you know, so many other quote unquote cold cases will get solved, especially because of technology. And that includes social media, forums like Reddit, programs like yours. Well, Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. And then um, let our listeners know what you're working on now and where they can find episodes of Down the Hill. Oh, yeah. Anywhere that you get your podcasts, you can find Down the Hill, the Delphi Murders. The more people that are looking into this, the better. They Absolutely. may see something or hear something that others don't. And, and if you know that person, because you do see his walk, and I know that I would know my family members walk, you just do, you see them coming towards you, you say, mm -hmm. oh, that's my dad. Mm -hmm. So you just to keep your eyes out and, and your ears open, and hopefully this is solved one day, and hopefully I'm back on, and we're all chatting about it. Absolutely. All of the successes and solved mysteries. Yeah. Well, thank you, Susan Hendricks, again. Thank you, um, Lucy. We will be we will be in touch soon. Thank you for joining us, and um, hopefully, we'll see you back in Atlanta someday soon. If you listen to this show, then you know that I love me some vitamins. Yeah, you do. And I especially love Care of's vitamins and supplements because they are such high quality. So all of Care Of's products are formulated with good for you, clean ingredients, and they are backed by science. Care Of is super transparent about the research and the sourcing behind each of their products. 
and it helps you get into like a really easy to follow routine with your vitamins. So your recommendations come in like these daily individually wrapped packets and they are perfect for getting back into or starting a routine if you're a little bit intimidated about vitamins. You don't need to be that person with like a bunch of, you know, large boxes of vitamins rattling around in your purse. You just have this like cute little pack that is easy to remember to take with like a motivational quote I on it. I love the quotes. The I packaging know. itself is super cute. It's like if you had fortune cookies that were good for you every day. Yeah. Oh yeah, I like that. Yeah. And this is how it works. So basically, you take care of's in-depth online quiz. You know we love a good quiz. It asks you questions about your diet, your lifestyle, your health concerns, and then it helps address your specific wellness goals. And so I took that quiz, and I was already taking a bunch of vitamins on my own before I knew about Care Of, but then it recommended things to me that I had never thought of, and I have loved incorporating those into my routine. And they have prenatal vitamins for all of you who are trying or currently expecting. So Mm -hmm. yeah, just couldn't recommend Care Of enough. Absolutely. So for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter code GALS50. That's G-A-L-S-5-0. One more time for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter code GALS50 and treat your routine. Treat it. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that is why it's America's number one meal kit. I am a huge fan of HelloFresh. <laughs> like, yep. big. I have a serious problem with getting stuck in recipe ruts. I'll I'll just make the same thing uh-huh. over and over. Yeah, same. So... HelloFresh has a huge variety of different like types of meals. So they offer quick and easy meals, 15 to 20 minute dinners, breakfast on the go. Hello. Mm-hmm. And more easy options. Perfect for your busy lifestyle. They also offer 27 plus recipes to choose from each week. Yeah. I have so- a lot of like weird food things and I can always find recipes that I am excited to try. Yeah, I like their vegetarian meals just to like kind of, you know, learn about new ingredients that I maybe wouldn't be my go-to, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, They have calorie smart options. Last week I made this Cajun blackened chicken and rice bowl. Hello. I love a bowl. (laughs) And it has like spicy crema. Also love a crema. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just, everything is right there. You got all your, like Kenyon said, your pre-measured ingredients so you're not wasting a bunch of stuff. Yeah, you don't get halfway through a recipe and then realize you don't have a crucial ingredient and then, like, get really frustrated. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So if you haven't already, give HelloFresh a try. It is, it's not only, like, convenient and delicious, but they're, they're fun to Mm -hmm. make. So go to HelloFresh.com slash GALS12 and use code GALS12, G-A-L-S-1-2, for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash GALS12 and use code GALS12 
for 12 free meals, including free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. All right. Well, my case is definitely very different, but it does involve, like I said at the top, the show Unsolved mm-hmm. Mysteries. Mm-hmm. Love it. So let's get right into it. Some vintage Unsolved Mysteries. That mm-hmm. I went into, into the archives mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the new episodes. They are oh, phenomenal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They're thrilling. But I wanted to go a little, I wanted to go deep. Mm. Yeah. We like the vintage. Mm-hmm. So in 1987, great vintage. Yeah, speaking of. <laughs> Mark and Debbie Baskin were living in Murfreesboro, Tennessee with their three young children, six-year-old Christy, five-year-old Bobby, and three-year-old Michael. Carol. Oh, I was just going to say, <laughs> holy shit. Can you even imagine? They grew up surrounded by tigers. <laughs> lions and more lions. Actually, look on the drive, and these will be on the blog, but look at photos of these sweet, precious baby muffins. They are bangs. so cute, these they children. They are really cute. <gasps> the bangs. Yeah. They're just so cute. Their little teeth and their little smiles. The, the boy, Bobby, he has one photo of his smile where he just looks like he has to show you all of his teeth. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's so proud he grew them himself. <laughs> That's what a child does when a parent tells them to smile. I, know. I love it. <laughs> the grimace. Yeah. It's are you pained. shitting or yeah? Are you okay? They're very are cute. You? Okay, so the dad, Mark, was an aspiring Baptist minister, which is like the only phrase scarier than aspiring DJ. DJ. <laughs> He had recently made the decision to go back to school for his master's degree in church music at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in, drumroll please, Louisville, Kentucky. I was just going to say, I bet I know. Same place where you send your tax payment. What? Yeah, I have to, for my federal taxes that I'm sending a check for, the address is in Louisville. Really? That's like where the, like the big IRS money collection is it to kenyan's address in louisville oh wouldn't that be amazing make it out to <laughs> kenyan lang don't, what a don't smart scam it. It would really be brilliant <laughs> Just have everybody's tax remittance love it to- no refunds no Just re- make it out to Kenyon Lang. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. If I mean, if people want to send me money, I'll take it. I will it's just spend red it. tape. I will it's spend fine. it. <laughs> I'll put it back Stay into bad. the economy. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so they move. They're moving to Louisville so that he can go to this theological seminary. Although Debbie supported his decision, it would be a huge financial financial burden on the young family. So it was a, a kind of a big decision for him to go back to school with three kids under the age of yeah. six. Yeah. It required paying for a move to Louisville, followed by a period of financial uncertainty while they both looked for new jobs in a new city. And then they had to like support themselves and their kids while Mark is also going to school so he couldn't even like work two jobs because he was already going to school. That's like basically what my partner's parents did. Mm -hmm. My partner's mom, my Bill is the middle of three boys and like all of them were under the age of like seven or eight Mm -hmm. while Bill's dad was in law school Mm -hmm. and working. So he'd like work all day go to law school like night school mm-hmm. and 
his mom would just be with the boys. 100%. 100% of the time. And they made it work. And like, obviously it worked out well. That's such a commitment from like every single member of that family. Yeah, you really have, the whole family's really got to be on board for that to work as well as it did for them. Especially your spouse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, your kids don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. They're too young to know what the fuck is going on. As long as they get their PB&Js. Well, I bet it depends on the kids. Some could be True. like, why is dad always gone? I mean, then act out. Oh, well, yeah. I'm just saying like, yeah, t- primarily between the parents. Yeah. But that is a right. big, big commitment. To yeah. You. Mm-hmm. So pretty overwhelmed by the prospect of, t- of taking on this challenge with all three young kids in tow. Mm-hmm. They reached out to Debbie's parents. So the grandparents. Marvin and Sandra Maples, who live nearby in Murfreesboro, for help. Oh, I have to burp. Sorry. So, <laughs> right? Marvin and Sandra offered to have the two older children, Christy and Bobby, move in with them for a few months while Mark and Debbie got settled in their new home. So basically just like, go find a place, move in. Yep. Take the three-year-old. We'll keep an eye on these two. Yeah, yep. because like he's so little that like he needs to be with his parents mm-hmm. but like we'll take the older kids we'll just have them for the summer don't worry about mm-hmm. it and then like we'll figure it out yeah. which sounds great yep relieved mark and debbie set off for louisville with michael expecting that they would find jobs and send for bobby and christy by the end of the summer and by send for i mean like either the grandparents would drive them up or they would drive right. in and get them mm-hmm. However, it proved more difficult than they had anticipated to find their financial footing in a new city. Also, I'm pretty sure Louisville, while very affordable compared to most U.S. cities, is probably more expensive than Murfreesboro. Mm -hmm. And little Bobby and Christy remained with their grandparents throughout the fall as well. And so throughout this time, so it's been like six months roughly, the parents kept in very close touch. They called frequently to check in on them, and they would drive down to visit them as often as they could. For months, Debbie and Mark were on good terms with her parents and remained grateful for their help watching after the kids. However, around Christmas, things took a turn. Uh-oh. Debbie told her mother that they were close to being able to take the children back with them, but found that Sandra seemed resistant to the idea all of a sudden. Sandra's the daughter? Sandra's Sandra? the grandma. So the, the mom okay. is like, hey, oh, we're ready to have our we're kids, have our kids home. Yeah, it's been six gotcha. months. Like, we want them back. We're, like, getting our mm-hmm. feet under us. And the grandma is like, mm, no. Why don't you wait a little yeah. longer? Uh-oh. Debbie, the mom, began to believe that her parents had grown too attached to the children and had developed a belief that they could be better parents to them than Mark and Debbie could. Mm-hmm. Okay. When she, I don't think you that's already it. were parents. Okay, mayor mm-hmm. of East Town, right? <laughs> but actually, slightly different. I can't. Oh, we can't get into we that. We can't get into I, it. Well, you, I am because I haven't started shock. it yet. I'm still finishing Sharp Objects. Honey, finish it and start it because mm-hmm. both I will. are fucking mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Mayor, this last episode mm-hmm. of Mayor of East Town blew my heart mm-hmm. out my butthole. Mm-hmm. Oh. So. When she voiced this concern to her parents, what had begun as a tension over this informal custody of the children developed into a full-blown feud. I have a question. Yes. Are they, like, talking to the kids on the phone? Like, do they know the kids are there and that the parents aren't, or the grandparents aren't, like, hiding something? 
They they talked to the kids on the phone, and they okay. had been seeing the kids on weekends whenever they could afford okay. to drive and see them because it's only a few hours okay. away by car. But it was All also right. 1987, so it's not like they had cell phones. They didn't have cell no, phones. No, 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 I know. Yeah. But... But yeah, they would call the kids often and like come up and okay. visit, and it was like, you know, they're a family. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's this feud from Christmas to April. Things Ooh, just get long. more tense. Marvin and Sandra would no longer allow Mark and Debbie into their home when they came to visit Murfreesboro, but okay. they did still allow them to see the children when they came up to visit, but they would have to like visit in the yard or like go to a park or something. Dumb. All right. Mark and De- these are her own parents. Yeah, this is bonkers. Yeah, this is weird. Just wait. Mark and Debbie began renting motel rooms in Murfreesboro when they made the drive up, and then they would bring Bobby and Christy to the motel with them so that they could spend time with all of their children together and not just, like, be outside with, like, the whims of weather. You know, they, they, sure. had, to, mm-hmm. they had to stay somewhere, so they would drive up or drive down, rent a ho- motel room, get all the kids together, hang out for the weekend, and then, like, bring the kids back to the grandparents, which I don't super mm-hmm. understand. That's a lot. Every weekend, but okay. In May of 1988, Marvin and Sandra, the grandparents, filed a petition for full custody of Bobby and Christy. At f- the fuck? At first, they claimed that Mark and Debbie had abandoned the children. No. But the claims quickly escalated, like a lot, and they soon accused Mark and Debbie of being members of a satanic cult... And considering <laughs> offering Bobby and Christy to the cult as human sacrifices. Okay, so that's a big leap from being a Baptist minister, oh, but okay. The satanic are... panic of the 80s, too. Mm-hmm. It's like everyone is just buying into this mm-hmm. fucking defense. These are Debbie's parents? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a... Pa- okay, whatever. Sometimes parents are toxic. Mm-hmm. Clearly, so, you know, that whole f- it's family, you gotta love them thing is bullshit. This yeah. is fucking off the walls, yeah. though. Oh, this is out of the blue. Oh, Just yeah. wait. This is bonks. They also accused them of sexually abusing Bobby when they brought him to their motel room on the weekends to, like, hang out. They were like, well, what, what are the they fuck? doing bringing a child to a motel room? And it's like, well, what they have- What choice have you given yeah, them? They have to stay somewhere when they're visiting- Oh and my you're not God. allowing them to hang out in your house. Okay. That makes no sense. Okay. Based on these claims, a judge awarded temporary custody to the grandparents, Marvin and Sandra. Ugh. An investigation was also launched into the abuse allegations, which Mark and Debbie adamantly denied. Yeah. A Murfreesboro detective named Anita Flagg also interviewed young Bobby. I need a flag, too. Yeah. I have a flagpole <laughs> yeah. out front. Anita Flagg. <laughs> I've got a bear pole. I need a I prayer a, and I need a flag. I need a flag. I don't have a bear pole, but I do have a slot, an I empty could, slot. I could get a bear pole. Do you have a flag slot? I do by my front door and I am, <laughs> it's like I can decide a tattoo to get on a whim without giving it any thought. Yeah, but clearly. a flag. <laughs> but I have been searching for flags for months. Yeah. Have not found one that I can commit I'll to. I'll help you. I'll help <laughs> you do. right now. Okay. Get, Etsy, get Etsy flags. A wine and crime I flag. Using. I mean. Subtle. Mm. Subtle. It's my, not worth my, it. 
My pots are already accidentally whining crime colors. So I can't commit. Don't want to grab. <laughs> anyway, while Lucy's finding me a new flag, continue. Anita flag. Anita, Anita flag. flag. <laughs> <laughs> so this this detective, Anita flag, confirmed what Martin and Sandra had. Oh, sorry. Talked to interviewed Bobby. Okay. And Bobby's the one that they're claiming was being sexually abused. Yeah. He's either okay. six or seven at this point. But he's a little peanut. He's little. Mm-hmm. So being interviewed by the detective, he confirms what his grandparents had said about the sexual abuse in the motel room and the supposed satanic rituals, although Detective Flagg indicates in her notes that she suspected he may have been coached to say those things. And he was definitely fucking coached because, tellingly, in further interviews with Flagg, Bobby then claimed that social workers and attorneys involved in the custody case had also sexually abused him and taken part in satanic rituals. Okay, well, so we he's are just a like, little confused. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Poor kid. He doesn't have any idea what he's saying. What he's saying oh, and what and, and the implications cool. of what he's saying. No. Carolyn McGowan, another detective who worked on the case, remembers, quote, then the Maples' allegations became more bizarre, and they were saying that they were that we, the detectives, were being paid off by the cult and more people were members of the cult. So then the the grandparents are just like... Everybody's in the cult. Yeah, exactly. How convenient. The second you think that everybody's in the cult... Yeah, your credibility goes... to think that maybe you're the only one in the cult. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe the problem is you and not everybody else. Mm -hmm. Maybe the problem is Q. Maybe it is Q. And not everybody else. (laughs) Q and your husband, obviously. So... The detectives also found it strange that Marvin and Sandra seemed only concerned with getting custody of Christy and Bobby, yet expressed no concerns about the safety of baby Michael. That's right, because the youngest kid was still with the parents. Yeah, and they weren't like, well, we need baby if Michael as well. they're abusing these two. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, investigators concluded that the abuse allegations against Mark and Debbie were unsubstantiated and recommended that the children be returned to their parents. Good. However, because of scheduling issues, like with the courts, it would be months before the custody case was actually brought before a judge so that this recommendation could be implemented. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Mark and Debbie were allowed only supervised visits with their two children because this was still, like, pending. Oh, that's so frustrating. Yeah. To, like, have half the ruling. Right. Like, okay, we didn't do this. Like, we're not abusing our children, but, like, you still... Like, this is insane. Can you please confirm that this is insane? Yeah. Well, and it's also really a failure of the court system because with the way that the ruling went in the favor of the parents, that also really shows that the grandparents are up to some... Shit. Yeah, they're like and probably should not have these kids, and these kids should probably they're up to be a removed shit from ton of shit. Yeah, yeah, and the kids should probably be returned to their parents and like removed from ASAP. this toxic situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they're so delusional mm-hmm. projection. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. Well, especially if they're coaching their children to say these really fucked up things that they don't understand. Yeah. Even just saying those things is traumatic. It's Hearing not them good. from an adult is traumatic. Mm-hmm. So. 
Finally, a hearing was scheduled for March 29, 1989, about 10 months after Marvin and Sandra had initially gained legal custody, like temporary wow. custody. So the kids have been away from their parents for almost a year. Two years. Oh, yeah, I guess. Ugh. Wow. Yeah, that's not good. Oh, that's so sad. Almost two years. So by this point, there was little doubt that Mark and Debbie would regain custody. It was just a matter of the court making it official and like crossing mm -hmm. the T's and dotting the I's. But then a couple weeks before the hearing, a court guardian tried to reach out to Marvin and Sandra about a scheduled visitation between the children and their parents and couldn't get through, like on the phone. They're oh, in their bunker. After several failed attempts to reach them on the phone, this court guardian drove to the Maples' home only to find that there was a for sale sign in front of it mm. and that seven-year-old Bobby, eight-year-old Christy, and the grandparents had disappeared without a trace. The house was empty. Yep. Yep. This is okay. Yeah. yeah. Nope. Nope. The court, the court's having uh, a hard time getting uh, a date scheduled. So we're just going to keep this sam family separated while we like figure this out over here for yeah. months and months and fucking months and give these predators proven predators now the opportunity to do something like this and, that oh, makes sense did they That's move safe. completely legally weird mm -hmm. when police began looking into marvin and sandra's activities in the time leading up to their disappearance they discovered that they had been secretly working for months to empty their house in murfreesboro periodically renting a van and moving their belongings out one trip at a time so as to not attract suspicion Oh, my God. That's weird. They then put the home up for sale and fled, giving complete power of attorney to a real estate agent so that the real estate agent could, like, get the money to them without, because as their attorney. Like, sign for yeah. it, everything. Wow. Like, accept a sale, whatever. Yeah. Wow. The house sold for nearly $80,000 in August of 1989. I've, I've got numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that is That's a significant one of amount of the, money. One of the tragic parts of this story. Mm -hmm. I mean, an older couple who presumably have been saving up and building equity their entire lives to sell their house at the at an older age for eighty thousand dollars. That's that that in itself is fishy to me. Well, eighty grand in the eighties. Well, I mean that was probably I, I think that was like market price. I don't I don't yeah. think they got like a low price. I have no idea. I didn't look into it. Oh, okay. No, that's accurate because my parents in the eighties bought the our house in what is a very expensive neighborhood in West Hartford, Connecticut for like a hundred grand. Mm -hmm. It was like a four bedroom house. Yeah, oh, prices okay. are totally different. My grandparents built yeah, their house for twelve the grand. Yeah. Granted, back in that time mortgage rates were like 20% was like a normal rate to pay. Rate. So you end up, so you basically end up paying the same as you would now. It's just whatever. Is anyway. home ownership the best? A scam. So stupid and boring. Well, it's just slightly less of a scam than paying rent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so a massive nationwide investigation was launched for the missing children because there was no record of their passports being used. So it was believed that they had, they always stayed in the U.S. Um, I'm sorry. I just got some alerts from Lucy about <laughs> flag she's recommending. You just want to flag One them real quick? Trump lost, LOL. <laughs> one is a flamingo standing on one foot that says, 
Don't make me put my foot down. Because <laughs> of your and, foot. And my favorite that I am definitely ordering is Nicolas Cage with Declaration of Independence flag. So it's just a flesh-colored flag with Nicolas Cage's eyes, nose, and mouth floating in the center and some parts of the Declaration of Independence scribbled above and below the floating face. It looks like one of those cookies that I that I sent you the yes. meme of, Lucy. It's <laughs> those flesh-colored cookies. And while totally. you continue, I'm Here, ordering look. it. Yes. So good. <laughs> oh, my so God. Good. Okay. So. Add to cart. It's Anyone? on. I didn't even notice it was just over the declaration. Of yeah. The <laughs> yeah. I You're noticed. welcome. Okay. So there's a massive hunt for these kids. The oh, FBI right, the concluded that Marvin and Sandra had been assisted in their escape by a woman named Faye Yeager. Jaeger, who... A.K.A. Jaegerbaum. Yeah. Jaegermeister. <laughs> Time magazine once called Faye Jaeger, quote, a legendary sharp-tongued Atlanta belle on a holy crusade. Okay, well, I would buy that book. On a flag. Mm, I'd <laughs> put that on a flag. I'd float Nicolas Cage's face over it. Holy crusade. <laughs> so Faye Jaeger had built a massive network that she called the Children of the Underground, and it aimed to assist family members in kidnapping and hiding children to keep them safe from abuse. Problem okay, with that so it's is... it's just a child trafficking ring. Well, the problem with that is is that it's fucking vigilante justice, and you're mm -hmm, just taking yeah. people's word for it, who yep. is... Saving children from abuse and who is actually abusing them. Yeah, it's like the fucking QAnon mm -hmm. save the children mm -hmm. co-opting that hashtag and mm -hmm. doing way more harm. I don't love this at all, but <laughs> when you hear a uh -oh. when you hear a rumor, as I did a couple years ago, which I told you about, somebody in my community like hiding children. Mm -hmm. If you go to the authorities and the authorities are like, we don't have enough proof to do it, but you still are like, well, there's definitely kids in this basement. Like, what do you do? I don't know. I'm not defending this. I'm not saying it's completely wrong. It's just like. It's, it's a gray area. It's a gray it's tough area. Because it can snowball without. It can really easily proof. slide downhill and right. just become a bad, bad thing. Well, yeah, I think there's a difference because we've heard those stories, even this happened recently in Minneapolis where somebody, like a neighbor, knew that there were children being held in like a house next door because they had seen and heard them. Mm -hmm. The police did come to investigate, but the children had been like hidden. So the cops didn't see anything. There's nothing they can do. The cops leave. And then the neighbors are like basically pulling some vigilante shit mm -hmm. to get those kids and get the police back there. Yeah. It's not like that's it's, different. It's than, not black and white. That's what yeah. I'm saying. It's not it's not yeah. a black and white. Well, this organization is not we think that there are children in this house and we're going to tell the authorities. This organization is you are a fa you claim to be a family member and you want to kidnap and run away with this child to protect them. Okay, so oh. it's basically a support network for exactly what these toxic grandparents are doing. Yeah, okay. it's, it, they Way think different. of themselves as an underground railroad oh, for, God. like, okay, children. Okay, okay. 
None Yikes. else. But no, it's no. vigilante, and so you just don't, they, yeah. you know. There's no corroborating evidence for any of this. That is still kidnapping. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So this network reportedly consisted of at least a thousand safe houses throughout the country. Obviously, who knows if that's true? This is that's just wow. allegedly shit. That's right. a very round number. Right. Jaeger once said in an interview about the FBI, quote, you know, they're the laziest damn bunch of people. They work nine to five. Anything you want to do, just do it after five. I mean. <laughs> I don't so, think that's really how investigations work. But okay. Probably not. They after- certainly investigate things that have happened after 5 p.m. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yes. I, I can. I can say I am 99% sure. I'm not, (laughs) I don't know firsthand, but. I don't think all crimes that happen after 5 p.m. just go on. They just get the blind eye. Yeah. That's what all these serial killers have been doing wrong. You're murdering before 5 or, yeah, before 5 p.m. I'm on my smoke break. (laughs) So, I don't know. After almost a year of authorities searching for the missing children in vain, the case was profiled on Unsolved Mysteries, ever heard of it, in February of 1990. Oh, the heyday. Mm -hmm. After the episode aired, alleged sightings of Bobby and Christy and their grandparents were reported in California, Washington, Mississippi, Florida, and Murfreesboro, Tennessee. So they're moving around. They're on the move. Well, these are just Including alleged sightings. Including where they were supposed to be. These are just I alleged suppose. sightings. So the, who they don't fucking know. These are just people who are like, I saw a little boy and a I little girl them. with older people. Okay. Well, that's fair, too. <laughs> so still, the authorities were unable to find any solid leads on where Marvin and Sandra had taken the children. However, they strongly believe that they were somewhere in California based on the fact that they had received four calls to the tip line from people in Santa Clara who remembered Ooh. meeting two children named Robbie and Christy. Okay. In 1989, who they claimed looked exactly like the photos shown on the episode. So here you have like four tips all from the same area and the names kind of line up. Uh-huh. So that's a little bit stronger of a lead. I trust it. I trust it. The Unsolved Mysteries episode re-aired in 1999 and again in 2000, and this once again led to new reports of sightings. But these tips led only to dead ends or, like, couldn't be fully followed up. Oh, that's horrible. Then, miraculously, in 2009... (gasps) They were taken in 1989. It was like yesterday. It's been, like, 20 years that they've had these kids. 20 years after Christy yeah. and Bobby had, had disappeared from Murfreesboro, they were found alive and well in San Jose, California. Oh, my God. The tips were right. They were in California. Trust the tips. Just the tips. Two anonymous witnesses had recently come forward to the police to tell them that a 73-year-old man named John Bunting was actually Marvin Maples. Why would you... If you had the opportunity to To invent a name... name, Mm -hmm. And you went with Bunting. I mean, maybe... Well, you want... Maybe they didn't have the opportunity to pick any name. Maybe Maybe they they were given an an identity, Um, yeah, from like a dead person. Also, Bunting, I feel like you would never have to spell it. It wouldn't really draw too much attention. 
Bunting yeah. rhymes with cunting. <laughs> it's like cunt, but with a B Bunt- and an I-N-G. Okay. But ing. Bunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I got it. Jones. Yeah. Anderson. But well, John Anderson Jones- could be E-N or O-N if you're from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Switch it up. Mm-hmm. So his wife, Frances Bunting... Good God, Franny Bunting was actually Fran Bunting. Yeah, was actually (laughs) Sandra Maples, and she had passed away three years before. So she had passed away and done like a like an obit and like the whole thing under her assumed name. Wow. So nobody, I'm speculating. I didn't find it, but well, presumably nobody knew her as Sandra Maples, including her. Fucking family. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. So it seems that sometime after Sandra slash Francis's death, Marvin slash John Bunting let slip his real identity after reading a newspaper article about the kidnapping that portrayed him in a negative light and then bitching about it to a friend while the two were out at a bar. Don't complain to a friend at a bar if you have anything to hide. Right. (laughs) Yeah, so he was like, well, this made me out to look terrible. I mean, this guy <laughs> that I don't know. Yeah. That, that, that's what I meant. I mean, Freudian this article slip. is really unfair to this total stranger. Yeah. That I, yeah, I have take no connection to. For him. On his behalf. On his behalf. <laughs> so this friend eventually confided in another friend who also knew John. And those two decided that they needed to go to the police with a confession. Fucking good for them. Yep. On February 1st, 2009, Maple was arrested. So Marvin Maple was arrested and charged with kidnapping. He was initially held on a $1 million bond, but it was reduced to $100,000 in May of... That's a big jump. It is a big jump. I don't think that he even made bond. I don't know. Well, you still Mm -hmm. have to post... 10%, 10%, right? So it's mm-hmm. you'd have to post $10,000 in cash. I think that's big enough for most people. Yeah, I, I don't know what yeah. his means were yeah. at the time. In Well, if nobody knows <laughs> nobody knew who the fuck he was. Yeah. Can right. be like, "Oops, family, I've been in hiding for however many years." Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of family. He doesn't have a lot of family to rely on, that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. So in May of 2009, he pled guilty to two counts of custodial interference and was sentenced to four years of supervised probation. Yeah, I was going to say, he's going to get a fucking slap on the wrist because he he's an old man. They're like, man, for so long for their whole yeah, life. And can you imagine those poor kids who were so young when they were kidnapped by so like, first of all, custodial interference. Fuck you. It's kidnapping. What did yeah. they think? Did they think that well, their grandparents were his their parents? That, that, yeah, we'll that reintroduction it. to your family and having to go back. I mean, that would be That's such traumatic. a hard transition. The kids yeah. also weren't they weren't so young that that they couldn't yeah, remember. Yeah. You know, there like must they, have been trauma Bobby of, was of some sort seven. their whole growing up. Yeah, okay, yeah. You can you remember, can when remember you're things seven. enough when you're seven. Like Scott and I have been friends since we were five. You yeah. can remember right, since when fair. you were four or five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Bobby and Christy, who now went by the names John and Jennifer Bunting. Ish. Were both seemingly well-adjusted adults by the time they were tracked down and interviewed by police. So they already, at that point, yeah, it had been 20 years. They'd moved on. Yeah. 28-year-old. Under these other names. Yeah. 
bunting. Yeah. Oh, God. 28 year old Jennifer, so Christy, unquote, yeah. was oh, no. working as a nurse, and 27 year old John was married with children of his own. Another John. Fucking be creative. Well, they're trying to reinforce the idea that these are their kids. Right. John, John, John Jr. They're not, even, they're not even spelled the same. I know. That could have been a that could have been my bad. Oh, okay. Just in my notes. But also when you want to blend in, John and Jennifer. Yeah. I mean, every, so common. Yeah. Bunting. It makes sense. They were it's both so aware that they had been abducted by their grandparents as children and had mostly grown up living under assumed names, probably after those tips came out from Santa Clara about Robbie mm-hmm. and Christy, like somehow word had gotten to them and then they moved and then they changed their names. Okay. But they strongly believed that their grandparents had done this for their own good and had rescued them from an abusive situation because that is what they'd been taught since they were like six years old. Yep. So they they understood to an extent. They but knew, they, but it was under a. a they knew they a were false. abducted, but they were they believed that their grandparents had saved them. Yeah. yeah. So they were they felt them, that they were but, hiding but they, from their parents. Yeah. So that's probably why they had different names. Mm-hmm. It's like your parents are going to find you. So we're that would have probably the, saved them from some element of that trauma. Maybe. Maybe. Well, but a then you bit. just the trauma just catches up with you when the lie unravels yeah. and. Yeah. You have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just seeing that. I'm seeing this as a like a little bit of a padding in terms mm-hmm. of their trauma up until this point. Well, okay. So Marvin and Sandra had homeschooled the children through high school to avoid oh detection by authorities and also to stop them from like making strong links with other people as children right. and like spilling the beans. Because other people can recognize them. Yeah. yeah. But both children, so Bobby and Christy slash John and Jennifer, they both attended college. Mm-hmm. And like okay. the girl went on to become a nurse. Yeah. They both now as adults have refused any contact with their birth parents since the discovery of their whereabouts. Oh, what? my God. That's so sad. In 2016, Marvin Maple passed away at 80 years old. Ugh. In May of 2017, eight years after his whereabouts were discovered, John Bunting, the so Bob, Bobby, spoke publicly. Yeah, the son, the boy, spoke publicly for the first time about his grandparents. Quote, he stated, "Quote: They sacrificed everything so we could have normal lives." When he was asked about the chances he would someday reunite with Mark and Debbie, John responded, "Quote: There was absolutely none." There's nothing that could come from it that would be good. It would just probably throw me back into trauma. I don't want to put myself through that. I have nothing to gain from it. But there's been nothing proven about any initial abuse in the first place. They've been inculcated since they were six and seven years old. Yeah, I mean, to his credit, they really believe. You believe them as memories. Yes. I don't trust any memory. I don't and trust my memories of yesterday. No, and I, th- I mean, I'm no fucking expert, but I feel like you could still experience trauma. Oh, yeah. And, and being triggered e- from false memories. Just because oh, it didn't yeah. factually happen, it could still throw you into a fucking psychological tailspin if you see somebody mm-hmm. that you've been told was your abuser. It's factual mm-hmm. to you, and that's what right. matters. Mm-hmm. That's right. your reality. It's right. reality. 
Wow. So Mark and Debbie, the parents, Baskin, continue to blame her parents for implanting false memories in their children and to hope that they will someday express interest in reuniting with them and their younger brothers, who they also have not had any contact with. Michael. Yeah, there's more kids. Michael is their full biological brother. And then Paul, who Mark and Debbie adopted several years after the disappearance of Bobby and Christy. So they have an adopted brother as well. Mark Baskin stated in an interview, quote, I know we will see them again someday. It might not be on this earth, but I feel quite sure we'll see them again. Wow. Like his grandparents or his parents' parents? No, Mark the dad. The dad. Oh, right, right, right. The the Baptist dad. Got it. Yeah. Husband of Carol Baskin. Yes. Really The alive one. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's wild. What is the unsolved mystery aspect uh, of this? It was it's unsolved just that it was for featured a long on time, Mysteries. and then it was yeah. featured on Unsolved Mysteries multiple times, yeah. and then tips from Unsolved Mysteries oh, right. kind of okay. sort of helped, even though it didn't the fully tips, solve the, it. Just the tips. So it's this been counts. solved, but for a long time it was unsolved. It was featured on Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. You nailed it. fucking weird, though. Isn't that crazy? So yeah. yeah. Wow. Well done. Thank you. That kind of go that kind of plums the depths of like mm-hmm. psychological like you were saying memories uh projection like all the kind of seemingly weird shit that grandparents were proposing at the beginning yeah. of this with the satanic blah 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 and yeah. like well and it's kind what? of scary too because it's like we kind of won't ever know we'll never the know. full truth either the because the two grandparents are dead Right, and it makes you wonder, like, what was going on there that would even start this? Right. Not, and I don't mean that I'm alleging that there was abuse, but it's just I like I don't understand the origins of this vendetta of this to lie. get these kids yeah. mm-hmm. and just the two kids that they had. Yeah, not Michael for the summer. It just doesn't make any sense. It's like when you study abroad and you let your parents like take your cat. And then, yeah. then when you come back, it's like they don't want to. That's give it not back. your cat anymore. Wow. You know, I did not have that experience. But with kids. Thank God. <laughs> well, all right. Should we hear a word from our sponsor? Let's yeah, let's do it. I got. So you might know my husband works in a restaurant, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of fried foods, a lot of wearing your same non-slip kitchen shoes day after day. It's in the heat. And you know what? In the heat. In the humidity. So there are a lot of things about my household that reek, quite frankly. (laughs) That don't smell the freshest. (laughs) So I really value things that smell good, including my native deodorant, which I am so hooked on. That I'll just go like take a whiff, just <laughs> passing by the bathroom. Serenity like, by a- Jan. It's like a scented candle. <laughs> it really, I love my native deodorant. I do too. And I love that native cares about the products that you put on your body. So they are all about stopping the stink, but the right way. And that is the native difference. So You probably already know about Native's legendary aluminum-free deodorant, but have you tried their body wash, toothpaste, 
or even their brand new mineral-based sunscreen. You guys, I made the switch to mineral-based sunscreen, and I am never looking back. My skin has thanked me for it. So, yeah, their uh, new Broad Spectrum SPF 30 sunscreen is for face and body. It's lightweight, it absorbs quickly, and you can choose between unscented or the scent of coconut and pineapple. Hello, summer. Oh, yeah. And Native's on a mission to overhaul your entire hygiene routine by putting the care in self-care with products carefully made to work against odor that are made with simple ingredients and smell great. You can get their deodorant and body wash in amazing scents like coconut and vanilla, love it, citrus and herbal musk. That's my jam. That is my favorite. Mm -hmm. Give me all the citrus herbal musk. Mm -hmm. Lavender and rose. I've used that one and more. I'm really excited to try surf and sea moss. Yes. You can even build your own personalized product bundles, mix and match three of your favorite scents, and keep them on rotation so you have something for every occasion. I love switching up my deodorant. It's like I use it like perfume. Like, yeah. like today, am I feeling eucalyptus? Am I feeling lavender? It's great. You know what? Today's gonna be a good day. I'm gonna I'm gonna use my citrus herbal musk. Yeah, I save it. For, I save it for like it's kind of like when you wear your good underwear. Yeah, treat yourself. It's like gonna have a good day today. Mm-hmm. So stay fresh, stay clean with Native by going to nativedo.com/slash/winecrime20. It's two zero, or use promo code. Or use promo code WINECRIME20 at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash WINECRIME20. Or use promo code WINECRIME20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. And treat your pits. <laughs> treat them. As the world kind of opens back up and becomes increasingly uncomfortable for those of us who haven't really left or interacted in society for a really long time. It's a lot to readjust to. It's really a lot to readjust to. And sometimes if I'm out and having fun, like back in ye old days, I'm just kind of like, I kind of want to go home and and just get in my bed. Yep. Mm -hmm. And my bed is definitely my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I can always count on how comfortable my purple mattress is. Mm-hmm. And that is because purple is comfort reinvented. Only purple has the grid, which is a stretchy gel material that's amazingly supportive for your back and legs while cushioning your shoulders, neck, and hips. And I don't know how it does it, but it is just fantastic. I have like chronic back issues. I am very into my self-care sleep routine, so I have a lot of accoutrement. I have an <laughs> eye mask. I have a humidifier. I have the leg sleep pillows. escapes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But literally the number one and best thing I've ever done to treat my sleep is my purple pillow and my purple mattress. I'm completely obsessed. And because of how it's designed, the grid doesn't trap air. So air actually circulates and flows through it. So you don't overheat and you don't get so sweaty at night. And by you, Mm -hmm. I mean your husband. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, the grid bounces back as you move and shift, unlike memory foam, which like remembers everything. I used to have a memory foam mattress. I will never go back. Um, Yeah, it really just kind of, I feel like it just keeps whatever happens 
in that bed. It does, in that bed. It also like doesn't <laughs> feel clean to me. Like it feels yeah. like it traps like mm-hmm. skin and Every, dust and stuff. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> so right now you can try your purple mattress risk-free with free shipping and returns and financing is available too. Ugh, what a treat. So purple really is comfort for an uncomfortable world. Right now, you'll get 10% off any order of $200 or more. Go to purple.com slash gals10, that's G-A-L-S-1-0, and use promo code gals10. That's purple.com slash gals10, promo code gals10 for 10% off any order of $200 or more. One more time, purple.com slash gals10, promo code gals10. Firm supply, treat you sleep. Trade it. So we all love our skincare, and I feel like we, I personally just kind of rotate and experiment with a bunch of different brands, a bunch of different products. Mm-hmm. And usually what I'm buying is for my face, but just quick reminder, the rest of your skin matters too, because your skin is your largest organ, mm-hmm. and you must care for your organs, especially your largest one. And so I've recently started using OC products mm-hmm. and my God, this is like the best line of skincare products I think I've ever come across. It feels very luxurious. Yeah. Um, I'm obsessed with OC's Undaria Algae Body Oil. It's liquid gold. <laughs> it really is. It smells amazing. It's like very rich, but it also like absorbs really well. So you don't feel like sticky or whatever afterwards. Yeah. It just kind of like instantly moisturizes and replenishes dry skin. And it leaves every inch silky smooth. And it just leaves your skin like super soft and glowing. So with this Andaria Algae Body Oil, it also includes acai pulp and babasu seed oil, whatever those magic ingredients are. They're magic. I don't need to know. I I just know what they do. I just know I like it. (laughs) And uh, OC soaks hand-harvested Andaria Algae in barrels of oils for up to six months. Again, don't understand the process. Love the result. (laughs) <laughs> and it's just this rich, luxur- luxurious, never greasy body oil. And it's fragrant with like a sunny citrus scent and top notes of sweet passion fruit. It's so great. nice. Yeah. So OC creates skin and body care products powered by the sea. And they've made clean, safe skincare products since 1996. They are vegan and cruelty free. They're also responsibly sourced, plant-derived ingredients, good for your skin and for the planet. So you can try OC risk-free for 30 days and get free shipping on orders over $50. They even send free samples with every order. Love free samples. Mm -hmm. And get 10% off your first order with our promo code GALS at OCMalibu.com. That's 10% off with our code GALS at OCMalibu. That's O-S-E-A-M-A-L-I-B-U.com. And treat your largest organ. (laughs) Treat it. Are we ready for my case? Maybe. Totes. Maybe. It's not anything like what we just experienced. Great. Then yes. I wanted to cover something like weird, but not murdery, and follow the rules of the topic. <laughs> so I think I found the perfect fit in 
The ghost blimp. <laughs> I feel like I fart the out street boys. I feel like I fart street out boys. ghost blimps every morning <laughs> at like same. five, six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get them out. Get them out. Ghost blimp. So let us travel back in time to 1942. We're at war. Part of the U.S. military involvement is to deploy blimps over the Pacific on Japanese submarine spotting missions. Can't even keep my damn tiara. Had to turn it in for scrap. (laughs) Turn it in for scrap. So this is from history.net. Quote, the United States had entered (laughs) World War II only nine months earlier, but Japanese subs had sunk at least half a dozen Allied ships off the American West Coast. Japan's frontline combat sub, I-17, had even shelled one of California's largest oil drilling facilities in February of 1942, which was the first time a country had attacked the U.S. mainland since the British shelled New Orleans in the War of 1812. As a result, L-8, which is a blimp, carried two 325-pound Mark 17 depth bombs mounted on an external rack, as well as a 30 caliber machine gun and a th- and 300 rounds of ammunition. Is there Death a way blimp. for you to explain in layman's terms what the fuck you're talking about <laughs> right now? I don't think it's that hard to follow. So they go There's on these missions to watch for floaty. subs. And, and they have bombs with bombs and yeah. guns and guns. Oh, That's okay. it. I, so that just sounded really sub, then radical. They just drop a deuce. Yeah, the blimp's <laughs> mission locate and sink any Japanese subs that its crew spotted off of San Francisco. Okay, I thought that would be I, okay. I didn't think it would be as cartoonish as that, but apparently it it's is. A so quote. yes, okay. No, I just the reality of it. I can't make it any clearer, David. <laughs> Fold it, it in. in. Fold, blimp it in. Blimp it in. L eight. <laughs> so one so three hundred and twenty five pound Mark seventeenth death bombs. Death bombs, David. <laughs> okay, that was an incredible. That was a good impression. Yeah, that was a good impression. I want to be more. Robos. I don't know how to be any clearer, David. David. <laughs> So one such U.S. Navy blimp took off on one of these routine missions, launching from Treasure Island in the San Francisco Bay. Love that casino. I know. Resort resort. and casino. (laughs) On the morning of August 16th, 1942. The L-8 blimp was operated by only two men, Lieutenant Ernest Dwight Cody and Ensign Charles Ellis Adams. Their mission appeared uneventful for the most part. They radioed into base about 90 minutes into their trip to report an oil slick located near the Farallon Farallon Islands. Not all islands. Farallon Islands. Farallon Islands. Islands. But no other calls or concerns really came in. Okay. So again, from history.net. Flight 101 was scheduled to fly to the Farallon Islands. (laughs) 30 miles west of San Francisco, then head north to Point Reyes and south to Montera Beach before returning to Treasure Island Resort and Casino. (laughs) The patrol would take four hours with Lieutenant Cody and Ensign Adams expected to return to base sometime between 10 and 1030 that morning. The flight started out routine in every way. So the blimp took off at 6.03 a.m. with Lieutenant Cody at the controls, which I imagine is just this. (laughs) Two sticks. 
<laughs> it's just one of those things that blows air. Yes. It's, it's, a, like it's essentially a, like a bagpipe. Woo! Yes. A bellows. <laughs> a bellows. <laughs> That's how I picture it. <laughs> Weather for that day was overcast, but visibility was quite good. There was no rain, no strong winds. And the L-8 had just been inspected a few days prior and found to be in perfect operating condition. The flight crew radioed into base at 7.38 a.m. to report the oil slick. Four minutes later, the crew called in again to inform the base that they were investigating the oil slick, which could indicate the presence of a submarine below the surface. That's why they cared about this. Mm -hmm. The crew dropped two location beacon smoke flares in the area, which is protocol. It's like there might be an enemy submarine here. We're going to put these like indicators. Yeah. And so that way, other U.S. ships in the area could see that beacon and follow their protocols by readying their crew and their munitions at the site of the smoke flares, waiting to see if the blimp would drop the depth charge bombs that they had on board to the enemy sub below. And if the bombs do drop, then they're like, "Okay, we are going to be attacking. There's a sub. Yep. This sub. I'm going to eat this sub. This sub. I'm so hungry. Oh Me too. Oh, I'm, it's not, this is not very long. I got this. But bombs <laughs> never fell. So around okay. 9 a.m., the blimp began to head back towards San Francisco Bay. Around this time, two float planes, don't ask me what those are, David. I can't make it any clearer. I think they're just planes that <laughs> planes can also that float. float. Were sent out from the base to establish <laughs> contact with the blimp, whose communications had been down since the last contact at 7.42 a.m. It was not unusual for comms to be out <laughs> during these patrols. Can't make it out of Clara. But the hours, like several hours straight without a response at all from the blimp was concerning, so they searched along its planned route but couldn't quite get eyes on her. So they alerted. What? What is so funny? Literally. David. I'm just laughing. I can't make it any clearer. It's so distracting. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm literally minimizing your video screen. I can't okay. look at you. Don't look at me I'm then. I'm not even uh, drunk. Oh my God, I'm sweating. I'm just laughing at Lucy snorting I, and laughing. And I'll so look cute. at Lucy at her all. snorts. <laughs> okay. The float planes got me. Oh all my right. God. Okay. It's fine. So Drink some Coke to s- yes. calm down. Put something in your gullet. So they are searching along its planned route, trying to find it. They alert other U.S. military in the area to be on the lookout for the L-8 as well. She was spotted around 1049 a.m. near the Golden Gate Bridge, and the pilot who saw her reported that the blimp appeared to be in control and making its way back toward its base. About 15 minutes later, she was spotted again three miles west of Salada Beach, about 2,000 feet in the air, which is like just about the blimp's maximum altitude before. That's a lot, I feel. Yeah, it's high up. I mean, they're not like planes. And then once yeah. they reach a certain altitude, then like pressure changes. They have to like release helium and it's like a whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it's usually a whole blimp they, thing. It's a blimp, whole it's, blimp it's, facts. It's, hashtag blimp facts. There's too much. There's too much. <laughs> this is they kind of cap out at like two thousand to twenty five hundred feet before stuff has to happen. Little Do known you know fact: that? they also fly like whoopee cushions, so there's yeah, just they no way to know. Away, <laughs> and it's completely <laughs> random. <laughs> really useful military vehicles. Yeah. 
It makes you know total you sense. You blow up a balloon and they just let it go. Yes. Go find the, the submarines now. Hi, that. <laughs> We're at war. Go, balloon, go. Fly, God balloon. Speed, balloon. <laughs> we salute you, balloon. You should have a good 90 seconds of flying time. We lost many good balloons at that war. Some good balloon men out there. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. So she's up 2,000 feet in the air, but once again, nothing amiss is really reported. They're just like, well, that's up high. Yeah. <laughs> then she was seen again near Mile Rock, still seemingly in control and making her way toward Treasure Island. But moments later, an off duty seaman Ooh. enjoying oh. a beach day. Spotted the blimp off the coast and noticed that she had a severe bend right down her middle. She was not looking good. Same. Same girlfriend. Hard same. With the cabin. I get it. Well, uh, so the cabin, like the gondola holding the two man crew, is like sagging, and the L8 is lumbering slowly lower and lower toward the shore. She looked like a mess, and she was a total (laughs) spectacle. Same girl was in a boot. So if you look at the blog to see what I mean when I say she was a mess. So you see that like blumping toward the the shore. That looks honestly like the crease in my leggings around my hip. It's really not good. It's a spectacle. It is not cute. It's not desirable. Shit is dangling from. Wing and a prayer. Mm hmm. I mean, that's she looks my like a fucked clothes. up mylar balloon two weeks after that birthday party, mm-hmm. still yeah. clinging to life. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, residents, beach bathers, golfers, all manner of civilians are watching the slow approach of this blimp, which was steadily working its way inland, where it hit a cliffside, which bent its propellers and fully dislodged one of the depth charge bombs that just fell off and rolled to a stop near a golf course. <laughs> Why didn't they crash it into the ocean and do that? Well, well why did they crash? <laughs> I don't think, I mean, I don't think they have much control over this balloon. And actually, the bomb yeah. falling off sounds a lot scarier than it actually was because they're depth bombs that are specifically designed to only detonate when they reach a specific water pressure. Okay, but I, sure, I, but a blimp is designed to fucking specifically right. fly and, and not, not doing that. and crash into a cliff. So you never also, know. I, as a citizen, would not feel comfortable no. with any kind of press release saying that a bomb, fell regardless off a blimp. of type, and fell rolled. off of a blimp and rolled and hit a cliff. Rolled near my to home. a stop near a golf course. Yeah. Not uh-uh. great. It's not good. So, at this point, thousands of civilians had taken to the streets to, like, watch this go down. Yeah. <laughs> Many of whom had binoculars and later reported to have seen two men on board the blimp. Quote, L8 then descended toward Daly City, a suburb two blocks south of San Francisco's county line, striking the roofs of several homes. Ethel Appleton heard the blimp's drag line scrape across her rooftop and instinctively grabbed her eight-year-old daughter, concerned for their safety, when Richard L. Johnston, who was polishing his car in front of his house, noticed the partially deflated <laughs> blimp overhead, As you do. he rushed to protect his mother. 
This is like cartoonishly <laughs> 1940s. It's so ridiculous. At 11.30 a.m., L8 came to rest in the middle of the 400 block of Bellevue Avenue. Fortunately, no civilian injuries occurred as a result of the crash and minor damage to property. I think uh, Dick Johnson, Johnston's freshly waxed car might have gotten a little... Probably some of the roofs were dented. fucked up a little. Yeah, They got exactly. scraped by a blimp. Right, and you can see there is the blimp's final resting place. There's a photo on the drive as well of that. So, whoa, yeah. (laughs) So, firefighters, pretty dramatic. It's very dramatic. I mean, imagine that just plopping in your neighborhood. Yeah, not cute. Firefighters were among the first responders on the scene and commented how miraculous it was that the blimp didn't catch fire because it's like expelling all this helium and yeah. it's got ammunition hitting and shit on power board lines and, yeah hitting power lines exactly so they approached the gondola and were puzzled to find that the door was just hanging open and the cabin was completely empty <gasps> they fled well we'll get to it thinking that the crew was somehow trapped inside of the giant balloon which i discovered is called the envelope mm. they slashed it open to free them but alas they were not in there either wait pro- the 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 inflatable part is called the envelope mm-hmm. or the, the place where the people are. That's the gondola the and the balloon, balloon part, part is the envelope. Gotcha. So a perimeter was established and a search for the crew began. Some civilians on the ground had reported seeing them parachute from the gondola, but all three parachutes that the blimp was equipped with were still inside untouched. Oh, I have a theory. Two of the life jackets were missing, but safety protocol requires that the crew wear life jackets at all times during flight. So it's the fact that that they weren't there and two life jackets were missing. Like, yeah, they were wearing them the whole time. So that wasn't weird. Here are some other things to note. The radio was in perfect working order. And even with comms interruptions, the crew should have been able to establish contact with the base, especially as it made its way inland where comms would have been reestablished. The blimp's batteries were drained, even though they were fully charged and prepared for, like, a five-hour-plus mission. A significant amount of fuel had been dumped, which typically only happens when a blimp needs to increase buoyancy in a hurry. And there was nothing to indicate that the L-8 needed that or that they had, like, done that from the witness reports of the behavior of the blimp. Lieutenant Cody's hat was just casually hung from one of the flight controls, which, like, gives me chills. A locked briefcase containing secret military codes remained on board, unopened, untouched. Ooh, that's weird. Where'd mm-hmm. they go? Th- where did these guys go? Yeah. Well, we don't fucking know. An extensive search that included military on the shore, Navy at sea, air patrols, and Coast Guard had no luck finding the two men, despite perfectly calm ocean conditions and stellar visibility, like, including on the day that they went missing. So they were like, well, if they fell into the bay, right. maybe they got... Like, they drowned and got, like, sucked out to sea, but it's like they weren't far off of the shore and the conditions the day of their disappearance were were so calm that that doesn't doesn't check out either. Hmm. An extensive investigation that included hundreds of civilian and military interviews uh, of individuals who had seen the L-8 on its flight returned nothing to believe that fire, submersion, misconduct, or missiles had struck the ship but almost every person interviewed could confirm that they saw crew aboard in the gondola before the crash. Cause some people were like so taking like, out their binoculars. These are like military ships that are also looking. 
Yeah, so like nothing was wrong. Nothing no. went wrong. Right, and Were they're like both crew members wearing hats. I don't. I think so, probably. <laughs> but only one she hat remained. It. Real question. I don't Where's know. The other I have hat? no idea. Probably. I think they probably would have been in similar uniforms. I don't know. But was uh, my question is, was it really them originally when they launched? Because they could have been aliens in disguise, and only one of the no. aliens had hats. Do we want to hear my theory or should I say Yes. Tell it. Go for it. Amanda, up to you. Go for it. If they had been taken, not hostage, but if they had been like boarded by enemy combatants, Mm. they could have been kicked the fuck out early on, one Mm -hmm. of them hatless, thrown into the ocean, his hat remaining on the dash, while the two imposters were directing the aircraft. Oh, baby. That's a good theory. How easy would it be to, like, pirate a a blimp? I mean, if it's another, say they did descend to investigate. I mean, we'll kind of get to it. There are theories. But, like, if they were boarded by enemy military, Mm -hmm. they feasibly would know how to operate that. But then the leaving behind of the codes would be strange. Right. Exactly. So. A year after the crew went missing, they were officially declared dead, and the army closed the book on the entire incident. But 70 years later, this mystery still haunts people, some of whom dedicate huge amounts of time to solving this. So theories range from alien abduction to a love triangle turned murder, with some speculating that the crewmen were involved with the same woman, Mm. discovered this while they were on their patrol. One killed the other and then fled. That's weird. Mm-hmm. There's no Very blood. dumb. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Well, you could have just pushed him out. Yeah, yeah. Others believe that when they dipped down close to the oil slick, an enemy submarine crew captured them, but that wouldn't account for the multiple sightings of the crew as the blimp approached San Fran. Others speculate that the crew were actually enemy spies who, like, met at a rendezvous point. Excuse me. I just burped a lot of my drink. After orchestrating the crash... <laughs> But then why would they leave the military codes on board? Like, that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A man named Otto Gross, who has been researching Beautiful the disappearance name. of L8's crew since 2009 and has a now defunct website that, like, I don't think he kept up with the domain, paying for the domain for it. Is it ogross.com? <laughs> no, but it's ghostblimp.com. <laughs> oh, no. And we he will believes- be moving over... All of our corporate identities to (laughs) ghostblimp.com. We're just going to buy it and do a redirect. It's brilliant. (laughs) But Gross's theory is that the blimp had been secretly testing experimental radar and poorly shielded microwaves overpowered the men, causing them to tumble out of the cabin. (laughs) Gross's claim is speculative, however, (laughs) since no hard proof has ever been uncovered that L-8 was testing experimental equipment on the doomed flight. <laughs> One Redditor on a recent thread suggested, and stay with me here, that they both fell out. Fall out. <laughs> they okay. both could have fallen out. They Definitely. Could've. I like I that mean... theory. I like the enemy <sighs> combatant theory, although they would have had to also escape and not be right. noticed. So then you or, have aliens. You know, people. It's aliens. I, I have no idea. The Navy maintains their own theory that either when investigating the oil slick or possibly a little bit afterward, one of the crew 
had to go on the outside of the gondola while it was in flight to investigate a mechanical issue. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So one crew member exited the gondola and fell, and the second crew member made an attempt to save the yeah. other and also fell. Yeah. Eyewitness accounts are also notoriously sketchy, so the sightings of the crew could have been false. Right. There's also a handful of eyewitness accounts that said they parachuted. They saw somebody parachute out, so that could account for one or both of them falling out of the gondola. Or enemy combatants doing so. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So Or aliens. Yeah. yeah in exactly. parachutes. Mm-hmm. Either way, they were never found, and we have no clue what actually happened to them. But the ghost blimp went on to be a Goodyear sports blimp until 1982, and now the gondola is on display at a military museum in Florida. They repaired and saved this blimp? Well, yeah, because really the only thing they need to replace is the, the envelope, the balloon. The gondola... Given a new coat of paint, she's fine. They crash pretty slowly because they're just slowly <laughs> deflating. It's not like that feel... big, scary Zeppelin fire situation. Mm-hmm. This was like, um, as you said, also, the most comical to, to and cartoonish re- descent. <laughs> to repurpose as the Goodyear blimp for Listen, like however long. Upcycle, seems a no fast bit... fashion. Yeah, you're right, upcycling. You know... Okay. It's a perfectly good gondola. I really have nothing else to say to that. Just because it's also, then it's just kind of icky. The military codes thing. Yeah. It might have been suspicious to have the military code book be missing. Mm. And they had cameras in this period. So they could have, if it Taken was. Taken photographs or have, written down the codes sure. and then put them back in the locked. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The spy theory is kind of legit, honestly. Yeah. But. This was 70 years ago, and I don't think anything happened. I mean, unless this information is classified to this day, but I don't think there's anything that happened following their disappearance to suggest that those codes were given to enemy military. Who knows? Like, there's there's no, like, proven benefits from that stolen information. Exactly. That that I'm aware of. And all of that technical information, like, intel would have kind of cycled out by now. Probably, yeah. yeah. But that's not to say that they didn't, at the time, think that it was valuable. Oh, no, of course. So I think they easily could have been overpowered. But I kind of, you know, I don't usually, like, Trust the stories the state wants to tell you. Mm-hmm. But I think fell out of the gondola were never found in the Usually ocean. Usually the simplest explanation is. Out. But I want to go with alien abduction because that's the most interesting I'm going, to me. I vote aliens. I'm going spies. I love it. They aliens, didn't fall aliens, out. Spies. I don't think they fell the fuck out. Or that's not ridiculous. like those two people were spies, but that they were taken over by Either way. Hijacked. And also, mm-hmm. if they fell out and they were wearing their life vests... Wouldn't that have also made them visible, at least, with all of those searches? Also, that they there did? are only two people trained to operate this specific blimp. Would one have really fallen out, and then the other was like, "Oh, wait, Jimmy!" And then he also falls out. Like, I mean, I don't think not protocol. Lots but- of people are trained to operate the blimps. The blimps just don't need a crew of more than two people. I don't buy the falling out thing. Is all I'm saying. I, th- I mean, I don't know. I think anything is possible. Well, you yeah. don't really Mostly know in aliens. the moment. You could go against protocol in the moment because he's your friend or whatever, and you try to. Right. Yeah. You, okay. So someone falls out, and then you chase them, and you try to save the uh, like. Uh, well, maybe they I were hanging know. on with one hand, and you just yeah. want to. You're just gonna not even like try to pull. <laughs> Does your that happen outside of like in? Hollywood? Though I don't know. I've never mm-hmm. been to war. 
or in a bomb. 1942. We were at we war. Were at war. <laughs> we were at war. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. It was anyway, aliens. Right. It was That's aliens. my case. Well, unsolved. Okay. So and a mystery. Unsolved. Such a mystery. All right. Ghost blimp. <sighs> well, thank you to the ghost blimp. Thank you to ghost our fan picker Joss Hoskinson. Mm. And also to our special guest, Susan Hendricks. Yes. Thank you so much, Susan. I had such a nice convo with you. Thank you for adding so much to our conversation. And you know and also, what? Please check out Susan's uh, podcast called Down the Hill, and it's about the Delphi murders. I love Definitely that. do that. Special thanks to us for doing it. Okay. We never thank ourselves. Yeah. I'm thanking <laughs> us. <laughs> That we too. never thank ourselves. Thank you. Know, you're what? welcome, America. Self-care. Thank us. Yep. <laughs> okay. Bye. Thank my toe. See us next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support and get a shout out on air, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers. Cheers.